I'd always been a quiet, shy, sad sort of girl, and then everything changed for me. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. With three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. One of the most recognizable and influential comedians of all time, her Tarzan yell and ear-pulling secret message to her beloved grandmother have become part of America's psyche. Today we're talking about San Antonio native Carol Burnett. But first, in our weirdest question yet, if you could create a Texas Transformer, what would it be? <laughs> I would create Silverado. He transforms from an old pickup truck into a quick-drawing, sharpshooting robot. Mm. Mm. That's that's interesting, but a uh, little uh, little on the nose, you know, Transformer <laughs> truck. Um, I'd, I'd put a little more Texas spin on it. Um, my first thought it would be a giant Bowie knife that transforms into a giant robot Jim Bowie, which is armed with a giant Bowie knife. Mm-hmm. Um, either that or a giant corny dog that changes into big Tex. Nice. You thought Sean was like, oh, that's a little on the nose. <laughs> I, I just mean that, you know, a transformer turning into a truck is, uh, you know, that's just a transformer. It's not super Texan. Why not just say, like, the, the giant statue of, like, Sam Houston comes to life to fight <laughs> for justice? No, how, about, I, how about the battleship? How about the battleship Texas transforms into a enormous robot? Now, that would that's on brand. Well, <laughs> I, I had an idea for one. I was thinking, what if, what if we just go with the simple his name? Code, you know, they always had the cards on the back. It would be a code name Pump Jack. And then you like pump look jack. at his stats, <laughs> and so he's like one of those. You, you pump for those who don't know, pump jacks are the things that go up and down, chunk chunk, pumping the oil well. Yep. And then uh, that but, would that but, would be his name, Pump yeah, Jack. His name would be sure. Pump Jack. He'd have a cool like card on the front for Transformers, and then it would uh, he would be uh, a petroleum based like machine of justice. So he'd have like oil spraying yeah. like nozzles for hands. Yeah. But when he when he turned into the pump jack, he'd be like, "Hey guys, hey guys! If you get tired, I'll fill you up." I'm slightly less lame than the one that turns into a microscope. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, hey, '80s kids! Thanks for listening. Though most of her life has been spent in California, New York, the woman who would break ground as the first female host of a truly successful sketch show. A woman whose name often comes right after Lucille Ball when speaking of great TV comedians. Carol Burnett was born and spent her earliest years in San Antonio, Texas. Carol Crichton Burnett was born on April 26, 1933. Her parents were both involved in entertainment, though neither would achieve the fame that she did. Her mother, Ina Louise Crichton, was a movie studio publicity writer, while her father, Joseph Thomas Burnett, managed a movie theater. Both of Carol's parents had issues with alcohol addiction, and she was often left in the care of her grandmother, Mabel Eudora White, at an early age. By the late 1930s, her parents were divorced, and she, her half-sister Chrissy, and her grandmother moved to a boarding house in an impoverished area of Hollywood, California, to be near her mother's home after she moved across the country. Carol Burnett's theatrical nature appeared at an early age. When she was just in the second grade, she actually invented a twin sister named Karen. 
While many kids have imaginary friends, Carol took it a step further, and she later said she, quote, fooled the other boarders in the rooming house where we lived by frantically switching clothes and dashing in and out of the house by a fire escape and the front door. Then I became exhausted, and Karen mysteriously vanished. As a teenager, she worked as a... As a teenager, Burnett worked as an usher at the Warner Brothers Theater in Hollywood, but was fired after she advised a couple who arrived during the first five minutes of Albert Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train to come back for a later showing because the ending would be ruined for them. The manager saw this, let the couple in, then fired Carol, stripping the epaulets from her uniform right then and there. Years later, when she achieved stardom, she was able to get some redemption. When she was asked where her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame should be placed, she answered, right in front of where the old Warner Brothers Theater was at Hollywood and Wilcox. Just as an aside, that's kind of a power-hungry manager for, I'm going yeah. to strip the epaulets <laughs> from, your, from your theater usher uniform oh right gosh. here, young lady. Well, you know, there was a, a once a more uh, civilized age when uh, <laughs> the role of, of usher was slightly more respected than it is Carried today. a little more weight than it does today. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine, Scott, that happening when you worked at the movie theater in Texas City? <laughs> yeah, they would have uh, yanked those suspenders and bow tie right off of me. <laughs> After graduation from Hollywood High School in 1951, Carol received an envelope containing $50 from an anonymous benefactor. The money was one year's tuition to UCLA, where she planned to study journalism, because inflation is nuts, people. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I was like, what? Within the first year, Carol switched her major to theater arts and English, planning on becoming a playwright. A turning point in Burnett's life came when she realized that she was going to have to take an acting course as a prerequisite to entering the playwright program. She later said, quote, I wasn't really ready to do the acting thing, but I had no choice. Her comedic instincts were immediately evident. She said, quote, don't ask me why, but when we were in the front of the audience, I suddenly decided I was going to stretch out all my words. And my first line came out, I'm back. The audience's response immediately hooked her. They laughed, and it felt great, she said. All of a sudden, after so much coldness and emptiness in my life, I knew the sensation of all that warmth wrapping around me. I'd always been a quiet, shy, sad sort of girl, and then everything changed for me. You spend the rest of your life hoping you'll hear a laugh that great again. Unsurprisingly, after this initial success, Burnett performed in several university productions while she was there. She was recognized and praised for her comedic and musical abilities, but her mother was not one of her supporters. Quote, she wanted to be a writer. She said you can always write no matter what you look like. When I was growing up, she told me to be a little lady, and a couple of times I got a whack for crossing my eyes or making funny faces. Of course, she never, I never, dreamed I would ever perform. Her mother's insistence that she should stay behind the scenes because she was not pretty enough was a common theme in their relationship. In her memoir, One More Time, Burnett spoke of her mother's advice. You can always write no matter what you look like by saying, God, that hurt. During her senior year at UCLA in 1954, a professor invited Carol and some other students to perform at a party as the class final. She was stuffing cookies in her purse to take home to her grandmother after the party when a man and his wife approached her. Instead of a reprimand, he complimented her on her performance and asked her what her plans were. When she told him that she wanted to travel to New York to try her hand at musical comedy but couldn't afford the trip, 
he offered her and her boyfriend each a $1,000 interest-free loan to cover the costs. His only conditions were that the loans had to be repaid within five years, his name could not be revealed, and if she became successful, she would help aspiring artists pursue their dreams. Needless to say, Burnett took up. Needless to say, Burnett took him up on his. Uh, needless to say, Burnett took him up on this offer. She and her then boyfriend Don Saroyan moved to New York to pursue their acting careers. The two of them married on December fifteenth, nineteen fifty-five. Not all the changes in Carol's life that year were for the better, though. Her father died that year from complications from alcoholism. Success in New York did not come immediately for Carol. Her first year was spent as a hat check girl going on failed auditions. Hat check girl is a career you no longer really can have. She was living at a boarding house called the Rehearsal Club, which was reserved for women who were seriously pursuing acting careers. And after sending out invitations to agents, they put on the Rehearsal Club Review on March 3rd, 1955. Several agents attended, along with stars like Celeste Holm and Marlena Dietrich. And acting doors did open for some of the girls, including Burnett. This show led to a minor role on the Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney show in 1955, where she played the girlfriend of a ventriloquist dummy on the popular children's show. Small though it was, this role led to her starring opposite Buddy Hackett in a short-lived sitcom named Stanley that ran from 1956 to 1957. Burnett found herself unemployed after Stanley went off the air, and it took a few months before she booked a role as a performer on the New York circuit of cabarets and nightclubs. She kept up her comedic path, and her most notable act was a hit parody called I Made a Fool of Myself over John Foster Dulles, who was then Secretary of State. This parody was so popular that she performed it on both The Tonight Show and The Ed Sullivan Show in 1957. It received such notoriety that Dulles himself was asked about her on Meet the Press. In reply, he joked, I never discuss matters of the heart in public. The success was bittersweet, though, as tragedy struck again when Burnett's mother died not long after, which left her without both parents at the age of 24. Burnett appeared in the 1959 Broadway musical Once Upon a Mattress, earning a Tony nomination for her performance. That same year, she became a regular on The Gary Moore Show, remaining until 1962. She won an Emmy in 59 on the show for outstanding performance in a variety or musical program or series. Carol Burnett portrayed a number of characters on the show, most notably the put-upon cleaning woman who would go on to become her signature alter ego. Her success on the show raised her to headliner status, and she appeared in the special Julie and Carol at Carnegie Hall with her friend Julie Andrews. Julie and Carol at Carnegie Hall would have an even bigger impact on her personal life than on her career. She met and worked with director Joe Hamilton as part of the production. The two fell in love, and Carol divorced her current husband and college sweetheart, Dan Saroyan, in 1962, and married Hamilton on May 4, 1963. Carol and Joe had three daughters, Carrie, Jody, and Aaron Hamilton. Carrie and Aaron would both follow in their mother's performing footsteps. Carrie became an actor, and Aaron as well as Carrie, were both singers. Accolades continued to roll in for Carol and the special with Julie Andrews, which won an Emmy for Outstanding Program Achievement in the Field of Music, and Burnett won another Emmy for her performance. She also had guest appearances on several shows, including a Twilight Zone episode called Cavender is Coming. Her next big role was starring in the Broadway musical Fade Out, Fade In. 
She was forced to drop out for a time due to a neck injury that she suffered during a taxi accident. She returned to the musical, but withdrew again to participate in a variety show, The Entertainers, alongside Bob Newhart. Because of her missed time, the producers of the musical sued Burnett for breach of contract, claiming that her absences caused the show to fail, but their suit was later dropped. The Entertainers ended up running for only a year. Carol became good friends with Jim Neighbors, and as a result, got a recurring role on his show, Gomer Pyle, USMC. In return, Neighbors would be her first guest on every season of her variety show. Golly! Legendary comedian Lucille Ball became one of Burnett's friends as well as a mentor. She guest starred on Carol Burnett's highly successful special Carol Plus Two and had Carol guest star on The Lucy Show. While Lucille Ball offered to produce a sitcom of her own, Here's Agnes, but Carol declined the offer because she did not want to commit herself to a weekly series. The two were friends until Ball died in 1989. One of their traditions was that Lucy would send flowers to Carol every year on her birthday. Burnett woke up on her 56th birthday in 1989 and discovered from the morning news that Lucille Ball had died. Her friend had sent her a final gift, though, and later that day, flowers arrived with a note that said, quote, Happy birthday, kid. Love, Lucy. Although CBS had offered Carol the Here's Agnes series in 1967, she had a stipulation in her existing contract that said she had five years from the date the Gary Moore show ended to, quote, push the button on hosting 31-hour episodes of a musical comedy variety show. She chose to take this option instead of the Here's Agnes series, and the result, the Carol Burnett show, aired on September 1967. In a classic case of short-sighted sexism, the network really didn't want to give Burnett a variety show because they believed only men could be successful in the format. Her contract stated she could do whatever kind of shows she wanted, though, and they had to give her at least one season, and she insisted on a variety show. Quote, they tried to talk me out of it. They said, you know, Carol, it's a man's game. It's Dean Martin, it's Gleason, it's Milburn, all these guys. There had never been a woman doing a comedy variety show. Carol stuck to her guns and her roots, knowing that her comedic instinct would see her through. The result is one of the greatest shows in the history of television, proving an instant and enduring hit. It ran for 11 years, 279 episodes, far more than the 30 she was originally contracted to do. The show also racked up 25 Emmy Awards and 9 Golden Globes, five for Carol, the most for any actress, and second overall. In fact, the show won or was nominated for multiple Emmys and Golden Globes every season that it aired. The show's regular cast is legendary for its incredible talent, including stars such as Tim Conway, technically a guest player until almost the end of the ninth season, Harvey Corman, and Lyle Wagner. Another member of the cast was the teenaged Vicki Lawrence, whom Burnett had discovered and mentored. In addition to the cast members, typical of variety shows, most of the stars and celebrities of the late 60s and early 70s guested on the show. These included Burnett's friends Lucille Ball, Julie Andrews, and Dick Van Dyke. The Carol Burnett Show was a classic variety program. It featured sketches, it had axe-pairing films, television commercials, as well as original musical numbers and original comedy sketches. Perhaps the most successful of these was The Family, which spun off an entire TV series called Mama's Family that starred Vicki Lawrence and Burnett as a regularly appearing guest star. Other famous sketches included a parody of Gone with the Wind, 
Carol's little girl character Alice and her giant chair, and the mock soap opera As the Stomach Turns. An unintended but beloved recurring feature of the show was when the actors would frequently and sometimes uncontrollably break character, usually due to the antics of the brilliant Tim Conway. So you can go find there's a dentist sketch if you want to see Harvey Corman have an epic meltdown. Most episodes began with Carol Burnett holding a question and answer session with the live studio audience. These unrehearsed exchanges allowed her to display her skills at ad-libbing. During many of these exchanges, she was asked and she agreed to give her trademark Tarzan yell. At the end of the show, Carol tugged on her left ear, a now famous message to her grandmother, telling the woman who raised her that Carol was doing well and loved her. Now, her grandmother died during the show's run when Carol was at her most successful. She later recalled her grandmother's last moments on an intimate portrait episode. She said to my husband, Joe, from the hospital bed, Joe, you see that spider up there? There was no spider, but Joe said he did anyhow. She said, every few minutes, a big spider jumps on that little spider, and they go at it like rabbits. And then she died. There's laughter in everything. Even after her grandmother's death, Carol continued the tradition of tugging her ear to honor her, which she does to this day. The Carol Burnett Show ended production in 1978, but four postscript episodes were produced and aired during the summer of 1979 with the name Carol Burnett and Company. Harvey Corman did not appear in these episodes, and Lyle Wagner had left the show in season seven, but the rest of the cast was there. Even before the show ended in 1977, sketches from it were edited into half-hour episodes called Carol Burnett and Friends and ran as a popular syndicated show for many years. These half-hour episodes returned to the air on MeTV in January 2015. Even while working on The Carol Burnett Show, it wasn't her only focus. Some of her other projects at the time were the movie Pete and Tilly and the play Six Rooms Review, which she was nominated for an Emmy. Carol was also the first celebrity to appear on Sesame Street on its first episode on November 10, 1969. She was a perennial panelist on the game show Password that lasted all the way into the 1980s. She was even awarded with a Silver Password All-Stars Award for Best Celebrity Player by Mark Goodson. Is that the show? Is that the one where they're all sitting and they have a word they write down? The password is. Or is that the one that two people are like... They're trying to figure out what the password is. No, it's where password is is literally like passing the word. So, you know, the password is goober, and you'd be like peanut, and then you would. I can only give a one word clue, and then you'd have to take a guess, and then I could give you another clue. It's a big, and you'd be like goober, and I'd be like, damn right, Sean. Ah, uh, okay, okay. That's the show. Uh, that's the show they parody on Saturday Night Live, where the people keep saying the password immediately. Where the celebrities are so dumb they keep saying the password. Yeah, got it. Okay, it, but it was always funny because you'd hear the voice go, "The password is cheese." <laughs> well, when her show ended, Carol took a number of roles, not all of them comedic. She had several dramatic roles, including the television movie Friendly Fire. She also played the titular role in the film Life of the Party, The Story of Beatrice. This TV movie portrayed the struggles of a woman fighting alcoholism, a subject that was close to Carol's heart given the fates of both of her parents. Other films she worked on were The Four Seasons, Noises Off, and most importantly to you children of the 80s, the movie Annie, where she played the matron of the orphanage. Which, Mike, I think you've probably seen that nine million times, haven't you? I've seen that movie so many times. (laughs) 
In 2005, she also appeared in the TV movie version of her very first hit, the play Once Upon a Mattress. And she de- and she guest starred on the show Desperate Housewives. Way back in 1976, the National Enquirer published a story implying that Carol was drunk and boisterous at a restaurant where Secretary of State Henry Kissinger was dining. Given the fate and history of her parents, this was a particularly hurtful accusation for Burnett. She started years of litigation, which eventually resulted in a judgment against the Enquirer in 1981. The original award was $1.6 million, but was reduced to $200,000 by appeals, and the final settlement was determined out of court. Though the results were more symbolic than anything else, this was viewed as an historic victory for victims of tabloid journalism. Carol Burnett and her husband Joe Hamilton divorced after 20 years of marriage in 1984. She remained single for another 19 years before she married Brian Miller on November 24, 2001. Miller was the principal drummer of the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, and she was 23 years his senior. Tragedy struck Carol the next year when her oldest daughter, Carrie Hamilton, died of lung and brain cancer. Carrie had a modestly successful acting career, starring in the very underrated 80s romance Tokyo Pop and the TV show Fame. Carrie co-wrote the play Hollywood Arms with her mother, which was based on Burnett's 1986 autobiography, One More Time, a Memoir. Carol later established the Carrie Hamilton Theater at the Pasadena Playhouse to honor the memory of her daughter. In the 1990s, Burnett made a couple of runs starting a new show, including Carol and Company in 1990 and the new Carol Burnett show in 91, but neither one of them lasted very long. Other jobs were more successful. In addition to guest starring in the role she originated on her show, The the spinoff Mama's Family, Carol played the matriarch in the comedy series Fresno, which is a parody of Falcon Crest. In the mid-90s, she played the mother of Helen Hunt's character on the sitcom Mad About You. She added one more Emmy to her already impressive collection with this role. After a 30-year absence, Carol returned to Broadway in 1995 in Moon Over Buffalo and was nominated for a Tony. Just four years later, she was back on Broadway in the review Putting It Together. In the new millennium, Carol added voicing animated characters to her repertoire, voicing characters in The Trumpet of the Swan, Horton Hears a Who, and The Secret World of Arity. She also made guest appearances on Law & Order, SVU, Glee, and Hawaii Five-0. She's hosted several specials of, of The Carol Burnett Show in 2001, 2004, and 2017, being joined on that 50th anniversary by Lyle Wagner, Vicki Lawrence, and Dick Van Dyke. Recently, Carol toured the country, appearing at theaters with an unscripted event where she held a dialogue with the audience, inspired by the question-and-answer portion of her classic show. Carol Burnett has been often recognized for her groundbreaking contributions to comedy, especially recently. In 2006, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, in 2009, the dress she wore in her show's famous spoof of Gone with the Wind, the one made out of curtains, complete with the curtain rod, was added to the Smithsonian's Great American History Museum. In 2013, Carol Burnett's long career and great influence in the world of entertainment were recognized when she received the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor at the Kennedy Center Honors, one of the most respected rewards given to artists who influence American culture. Tina Fey was one of the many celebrities at the awards, and she was overheard telling Burnett, quote, I fell in love with sketch comedy watching your show, and you prove sketch comedy is a good place for women. 
a fitting tribute to a pioneering comedian and a sign of just how much influence she's had on the world of comedy. Yeah, great lady. An amazing, amazing performer and uh, and great. Um, and I have my own memories of stuff, but I was just going to say, like, you know, for those listening, still Texas history, and we, you know, you're born here, you're raised here a little bit, even if you go to Hollyweird, we still love you. <laughs> we still claim you. <laughs> we still claim you. You'll yeah. always be Texan. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I remember as a kid watching the, the Carol Burnett show, you know, uh, sitting down with the family and we'd watch it and everybody laughed together and it was just good, good fun. She was hilarious. Still is. I mean, she's funny, funny lady. She is. She is. And you know, watching those watching those specials really, you know, because then then you get you then you get the, you know, the really the best of and the, the greatest, the greatest hits So watching those specials. Just took me back to just remembering them cracking up in my. I think I watched one of them with my mom. She was just visiting for the weekend and was on, and we were we were watching it, and it was like, yeah, that was what everybody remembered was when they just completely lose it uh, over over some silly line or some silly you know silly line in a sketch. And the thing is, and they talked about it that that Tim Conway would never lose it. He never he he was always yeah, on. No. Yeah. yeah, but 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 he delighted in in Corman Harvey Corman who who I absolutely adore. I I uh, Corman's brought, my yeah. favorite from. He, he's yeah, he, yeah, but he but just the 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 pain in his face at trying and failing miserably to hold in the laughter yeah. at that at that it's sketch. Like, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, yeah. Well, that but that 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 dentist sketch is just. It's be it's 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 above and beyond even the pale of what you would expect for for breaking character, but it's that's that was endearing about the show, and it was it it was a live show, so like anything could happen. That was the thing is anything could have happened on these shows, and this was live on prime time, and they did it for eleven years, which is just a. Mind-boggling today. It's mind-boggling. Eleven years. Yeah. Well, the show time. was great. The show was great. I remember from my childhood, like seeing those syndicated versions of the show, because and I remember that 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 was something that got watched a lot. Um, and and Carol Burnett was a for for those of us about this age, it's kind of one of those funny shows. Like it was a bit like um, I put Mash in that category. But it's sort of there's shows that you could watch with multi generations around the TV. Yeah. That like your grandparents and your parents and and kids could watch and everybody would laugh. Yeah, she's right. a funny lady. The, I'm gonna just the Annie thing was this. <clears throat> there was two videotapes in the house that my sister had. <laughs> there was Grease two, and there was Annie, and those things were on a loop. <laughs> those things got watched a lot by my sister, so like I am very well versed in that. It's a great performance um, by her. I, I I we just breezed over it. The movie version of the play "Noises Off," brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a brilliant, underrated, great story, underrated yeah. film that captures the magic of seeing that. I've seen it performed as a play, and it's it's magical. But world class movie. Yeah, um, uh, John John Ritter was in that cast too. Uh, Christopher Reeve, John Ritter, yeah, uh, Michael Caine. <laughs> as the Harry it was a director. bit of an all-star cast oh my yeah. gosh it's a beautiful cast um but she was a great lady she was just an amazingly cool lady i don't think there's you know we could heap praise on her but she's got a mantle full of all of these awards um but what a tough start in her life mm-hmm. you know 
just it's it's kind of one of those things of like sad that you know such a talented person was told from an early age you know there's no place for you in this count you know there's no place for you this don't be a performer you know you just don't have it uh and she's got it in in spades so yeah you're yeah she was told you're not pretty you were you're you're tall and skinny you're awkward um but but no one could deny that she was funny you know she was hilarious once she got going you know, once she got her foot in the door, it was she. She wasn't. A, she wasn't going to let that door shut again. She just kicked it open, and she kept kicking it open. So, you know, the idea that the network would have her under a contract, and 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 as a as a as a performer, she became so important to the Gary, to the Gary Moore show that she got that contract with the network, where they basically kind of gave her an option to have a carte blanche. You know, and they they offered her a sitcom, thinking, oh, well, this will satisfy her, and she's like, no, no. I want I want a variety show. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it, and she did it. She she did it, and she she did it, and, and so the CBS was very lucky <laughs> that they had they had that option for her. Yeah. Well, I want to jump back. Option made me think. I went. I was very curious because I I was like I swear I've seen that Twilight Zone episode, but it's been a very long time. So I had to go back and refresh my memory. The Cavender is coming, and it's um. It's an interesting episode. It came in the, out in the middle of season three. It is the only Twilight Zone that was ever aired with a laugh track on it <laughs> because it was a backdoor pilot for ah. the story. <clears throat> and the story is about this angel, Harmon Cavender, who's played by Jesse White, which we would remember him as the original Maytag man. Ah, oh, yes. okay. And so he plays a a fresh-faced guardian angel submitted for your approval the case of one miss agnes grep but on earth with two left feet <laughs> an overabundance of thumbs and a propensity for falling down manholes in a moment she will be up to her jaw and miracles wrought by an apprentice angel Harmon cavender intent on winning his wings and though it's a fact that both of them should have stayed in bed they will tempt all fates by moving into the cold gray dawn of the twilight zone and with that description, you actually it came crashing back on me. I remember that episode as well because it was all her doing pratfalls, her her being doing pratfalls and and doing the you know doing the Dick Van Dyke you know stumble over things. That was, uh, that's that's exactly it. And and really in a lot of ways, and I I, I think this I see this as a compliment. But but she was in a comedic talent in the same level uh, and same way as Dick Van Dyke, who I think was a brilliant physical comedian. And I think Carol Burnett had that same, those same qualities as Dick oh, Van Dyke. Oh, she, yeah, she's very, yeah, very expressive and wonderful. But it was just funny to me that it was like... It's oh. a Twilight Zone with a laugh track. <laughs> yeah, Twilight Zone with a laugh track. Okay, I get it. All right, this all comes into focus. But these, you know, these, these, these shows, these episodes, like... She's just an iconic person who has drifted in and out of all aspects of pop culture for a mm-hmm. big part of our lives. And, you know, we've come, we came in into the, the middle of it. And <laughs> we didn't even get all of the, the 60s shenanigans that she did, 60s and 70s stuff as much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, but, but at the same time, like, we claim her, she's Texan, and we celebrate her. Yeah. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, 
follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. Hey, I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. We'd like to thank our friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Blackguard Press and find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. If you love the show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you want to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>